regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is the Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. I am your host, Jacques Hopkins, and there's our co-host. What's going on, Dr. K? Oh, I just living the dream up here. How are you doing? Doing well. You know, I was thinking about, uh, you know, my relationship with you in this podcast, and I'm surprised. I thought of like a nickname for the two of us or like our tandem, and I'm surprised nobody's mentioned this before, or maybe they have, and I just forgot. But we're, we're Jacques and the Doc. Jacques and the Doc. Nice. I like it. You're not as you're not as impressed as I no, thought. <laughs> it's good. It's clever. I like that. I was uh, I read a book about podcasts, and uh, the lady has a podcast. It's um, by the book. I don't know if you've ever heard of this one. No. And uh, so, by the book, she she and this these two co hosts they read a self help book or a personal growth book, and then they li- try to live by that book for two weeks. Mm. And they do these experiments on their husbands, and then they get together and report how things went. And they're both comedians. It's pretty funny. So I listened to that. But she wrote a book on starting a podcast, and she said when you have two when you have two hosts, it can be good to have the main host and then a foil. And the foil is the guy. Uh, or the other hosts that like the, if the first person is really good at getting things done, then the foil is the one that's like, ah, it doesn't get anything done. And so I guess there's a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Mm-hmm. And so Gretchen is like this superwoman gets everything done. And then her sister is on there and it's like, yeah, she, she knows it's a good idea, but she doesn't get things done as much. And I'm like, all right. So I told my wife the other day, we were in the kitchen working on a project and I, I pulled a piece of foil and I said, I learned that I'm this. <laughs> no, so you're you're the A player and I'm the total screw up. That's that's what this is, right? Well, not the majority of the time. Well, I think on a lot of aspects of life that would be the case. But if we're just talking about online courses, then maybe maybe we can uh, switch roles for just that. Uh, and and look, I want to talk a lot about operations here in this episode and this that goes along with that a little bit because uh, and a lot of times in in companies online course businesses You'll find that the the two people in successful ones, the two people most kind of at the top of the organization, you have kind of the the higher level visionary, and then the other person is more focused on the day to day, more operations type activity. And to be honest with you, I don't think we spend enough time on this podcast talking about the operations within an online course business. You know, we had um, we had Abby Ashley on a few episodes ago. She talked about it a bit, and that's a huge. Um, huge component to her success. Jason Dion, uh, a few episodes before that. Both of those are $2 million a year course creators, and both admittedly gave a lot of credit to operations there. And so this episode is going to be all, all about operations. What, what do you think of, Mr. Doc, when you think of operations? Oh, I mean, it's it's so important. Just, uh, I mean, you have to have an organized business and yeah, it's just hard to do everything. When you're a solopreneur, it's it's hard to put your focus in all the spots and all of us have our things that we're best at. So it's a shame when somebody who has a really great focus on on being a visionary or loves the marketing 
is spending tons of time on things like paperwork. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to define it. Like I don't want to do like Webster's dictionary definition, but if I had to define operations, uh, and, and by the way, there's you know I like to keep this podcast pretty PG just in case people want to want to listen around their kids or, or whatever. Um, you know, I've got young kids and I'm sensitive to that for sure, but there's in my definition, it just happened to have a curse word in it. So I'm going to replace that curse word with, um, with something I love and I'll replace it with coffee. Okay. So my definition is the day to day activities that get coffee done. Okay. Okay. I mean, plain and simple, like that's, that is what it is. And so when I'm telling people, like, what is a successful online course? business look like, a lot of times I'll leave out the operations piece. I've I've shown this diagram to you and to to the audience on video plenty of times, but in general, there's like four components to a successful online course business. You've got to have traffic, right? You got to have actually people coming into your world. Then you've got to have a funnel because that's what really builds the relationship and rapport with leads and turns them into paying customers. Then you've got to have a course because we're talking about an online course business, so you've got to have that that deliverable, that experience. And in this case, it's a course. And then you've also got to have student success and testimonials. But within each piece and then over on top of each piece is operations. We've got to actually get that coffee done, right? That we got to right. execute on all those things. And if you're the only person in your business doing those things, then it takes you away from other from other things you could be doing. And so in today's episode, in, in, in the conversation of the day, I, I spoke with Natalie Gingrich, who is an expert in operations, and she trains what's called directors of operations. And as you know, I've got a director of operations in my business as of the past four months, and Natalie trained her. Natalie trained Colleen. Uh, Colleen went through her program, and uh, it was it was a great conversation. Uh, we got into the weeds a little bit of operations, but because this is a topic that we don't talk about much, this is one that's completely focused on operations, but also the way Natalie runs her program is different than I've seen as well. So that's that's kind of what, what we're getting into today. Now, my definition here, do you, do you agree with my definition of operations? Yeah, that sounds great. So you you have, how many businesses do you have? Well, essentially, I have my chiropractic practice and yeah. then the online course is uh, currently in side hustle status. So. Right. So your your online course business, that's just you, right? You don't have a team around that. Correct. So you are you do everything, including the operations there. Right. But what about your in-person chiropractic business? I'm sure there's some operations going on there. Right. Yes. And uh, currently, it's primarily just me and one other employee. She's a superwoman. She's incredible. She's doing a little bit more than she should. But one of the things, uh, I mean, being a manager, you just learn things as a a manager or business owner that you don't anticipate. One of the things that I learned is that I experience a ton of stress if somebody in my team is twiddling their thumbs. And I could not have known that, but sometimes I'd hire and then somebody's kind of killing time. And that, I mean, like my blood pressure and my heart rate, I just felt it rise because I was like looking around, what can I have them do? I know how much I hate twiddling my thumbs and trying to look busy when I'm not. So yeah, we run a little bit lean, uh, but the days go super fast. Very cool. Um, before we get into the, the conversation with Natalie, I wanted to give one example of of some operational like efficiencies that we've implemented recently and, and kind of what it would have looked like before 
before Khalid and before I had placed an importance on operations. So right now we're working on some new initiatives in Piano in 21 Days. Um, we're working on some new courses. One of those courses is called um, Jazz in 21 Days. It's a new, it's a new full program for, uh, it's meant for graduates of my first course that then want to, to start learning jazz as well and blues piano. And so we've got a video editor on, on the team. And before, before Colleen, before Asana, before I thought about any of this stuff, I just would have been like, hey, hey, Zoltan, here's the raw files. Here's the goal. Like, make it happen. <laughs> and that kind of would have been it. But now, the way we're doing it is we have like 21 little tasks in, um, in Asana, and within, which is project management software that we use. And then within each one, there's several like statuses or phases of the task, right? So if it's in, um, if Zoltan is currently working on it, like that's the status. If he's, if he's finished and it needs my review, like he changes it to that status. And then the task automatically gets assigned to me instead of him. And then I can either approve it or request edits, right? And if I click request edits, I put in my edits and then it automatically assigns it back to him. So, you know, if, if, if I'm reviewing the first video, and he's editing the second video, then then I have edits on the first one. As soon as he's done editing the, the second video, he can jump back to the first one and and apply those edits. Whereas before it just would have been it would have been a lot of confusion. It would have been very inefficient. But this is this is a very uh, much more efficient way to to do things. And I think it's better for everybody, right? It's better for me, it's better for Zoltan, it's better for my company, and it's better for my students as well. Yeah, that sounds slick. Yeah, it's good. And so we've done a lot of that type of stuff. I mean, getting these podcast episodes out, getting uh, YouTube videos out, getting new courses out, and so on. And so uh, I've really been geeking out on operations lately, and it was fun to geek out on it with with Natalie as well. So without further ado, let's go ahead and play the full conversation between me and Natalie Gingrich. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to the Online Course Show. Hello, hello. I'm super excited to be here and to get to connect with you. Same here. So we talk on this podcast a lot about funnels and courses and, and marketing and automation and all that. We rarely talk about operations. So why don't we start there? Like, what is operations? Such a sexy, such a sexy yeah. topic, and, and, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm sure you've never gotten that question either before. <laughs> you know what, Jock? In my own experiences, I would have never called this operations until I had to do a lot of work in really refining and communicating. So of course I get the question and I am absolutely happy to, to share my learnings with you and your audience so that we all have a collectively a better understanding of what operations looks like and what it really is. But um, I'll tell you a little story as to how I kind of derived this. But um, when we talk about business, there's two sides of business. You've got the front side and you've got the back side. And that's about as granular as we kind of get before we start building these businesses. And the front side is the marketing side, and that's everything before the sell. And then after the sell is where operations comes in. And so the back of the business or the backside of business, whatever it is, whatever technical term you want to use, that's the operational side. And so I like to look at this as what does it take for your business to be able to deliver on the promises that you have sold? So we are looking at project management. How are we going to deliver the product, fulfillment of the product? The financials, how do we keep the foundation of the business set up in a really strong way? And then, oh yeah, that whole team component where you need people to help you to deliver the product that you have promised and are working on. So 
operations is really a big, it's a generalized topic, but the specific disciplines underneath that project management, human resources, which has like 19 different tentacles, but um, as a broad category, financials, um, some reporting is underneath there, technology and fulfillment. So if you have ever thought about any of those, which I know if you're in business, you've thought about all of them, but that's what operations looks like. And that's what it's comprised of. So I, I, I want to question one thing that you said. I, I, like, I like how you're talking about it, front side, back side. And what you said was the back side was after the sale. And that's where the operations comes in. I'm confused at why operations doesn't come in pre-sale, or maybe I misunderstood something. For the most part, I mean, you've got some underlying components like technology. Technology usually falls underneath the operational side of business, but it's really, I mean, you're going to see that in both the tech heavy in the front, but it's going to be more marketing operational tech, right? Mm -hmm. So we can get really, really nitpicky, but for a like really high level, the operations is really in the fulfillment. So after the sell. Okay. So I'm biased, obviously, and, and I've had a, an operations person in my business for only about three and a half months at this point. So I'm new to it, but I feel like the majority of what we've done so far is more, it's more front side, but maybe I'm just thinking of it that way because it's, she's mostly done like setup stuff since I've never really had an operations person before. So systems, because you're probably thinking of systems, systems. processes. Yeah. And so all of those are skill sets that fall under the discipline of project management. But a lot of the lead generation that we're going to do is one big, possibly complex system that we are going to set up or one process that we're going to execute on. So I, I bet that's where you're coming from as yeah. to, wait, how is this operations? But the discipline of project management extends marketing to operations. So whether it's setting up a process to hire somebody, organizing your inbox, or creating a funnel, what does the project look like to create a funnel? You've got project management from front to back, but that person typically sits in the operational side. Got it. So why is it, do you think that as, as online business owners, course creators, like why do we think way more about and discuss way more about the funnels and the marketing and, and things like that? And from what I've seen, I mean, operations is operational efficiencies is more of an afterthought. Why do you think that is? Because we're in business to make money and marketing generates revenue. And even back to my corporate experience in the back, you know, on the operational side, we're typically cost centers, right? So it's hard, it's harder to get a return on investment from the operational work. And let's face it, it's a lot less sexy. It's a lot less fun. The game of operations does not even compare to the game of marketing or winning a sell. So I think naturally, if you go into business, if you look at where your skill set as the leader of your business falls into, a lot of the people that I work with and partner with are going to be heavier and natural on the marketing side. So of course, I mean, that's what you like. It's kind of like you hang around the people that you like, that you're going to do the kind of business or the kind of work in your business that you like, which is most of the time in the front side of business. So I do want to go kind of to your your backstory eventually, but like where your business sits right now, like what what is it that you and your business are doing for people today? Yeah. So we run a certification program for people who are natural born operators who have that project management skill set and are looking to up level and serve online and remote businesses in a higher, stronger, better capacity. And so we run a certification program for directors of operations. And it looks very much like an online course to to the uh, the consumer. So it's it's pre-recorded training, but 
is it, it's also uh, direct coaching as well, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a giver. I'm a big connector. I'm a big relator. And so I cannot even imagine doing a completely passive course. I know they exist. I've been a part of plenty of them. Um, but for where I have, and I've tried it to be frank, I've, I've tried that model. And where I seem to have the greatest value and the greatest return, both personally and also financially to the, to the student is when I'm able to combine both that pre-recorded with a strong, heavy coaching component that almost can feel one-to-one, but is absolutely not because there's no way I could scale it that way. So the way that the, the, our format today is we do not run an evergreen model. We are, which is an opportunity that we possibly have. And Lots of great marketers try to teach me to do that and try to to coach me on doing that. And I'm being bullheaded about it because I love the idea of cohorts coming through because of the connection that they make. I target all females. And so, um, I mean, let's just face it, chicks like community. (laughs) And so (laughs) they like being in small communities. And um, that's been really, really helpful for us. But we, we launch six different times a year. And so we have six cohorts coming through at each time. Which of course brings more complexity to me, but the results are so much bigger than what I can see from an evergreen model. But but from the layout or the or the format of the way that we deliver today, we have once a week we have pre-recorded content that comes out. We have a support session every week, and then we also have strategic advisory, which I am specifically leading for each of the cohorts. And so Lots and lots of touch points. We've got accountability coaches. We've got expert coaches. Um, and it's just really important for me. These, these women are, we typically are fact finders. And so we have lots of questions. We suffer from perfectionism. It's a blessing and a curse. And so having live support to be able to walk through to, to get hands on coaching has made a big, big difference in the outcome for these women. I'm really glad that you're talking about your program because I definitely wanted to hit this conversation from two angles because you are a course creator as well. So I want to talk about that and how you run an online course business, but of course, dive into your your knowledge and experience on operations itself too. So let, let's stick on, on your, stay on your course. I completely agree with you about the not just pre-recorded videos. My audience will know that I've, I've hammered on that a lot lately. And Mine's not really a group coaching program, but there's a ton of interaction, right? I do. I go live once a week with my piano students. I can't see it here, but there's my keyboard. I actually just went live with them right before this call um, to answer their questions. They can email me. One thing that I'm missing in my piano business that that it sounds like you definitely have is like other trainers, right? I have a team around me, but nobody else on my team like plays or teaches piano. How how did you get to a point where you could trust and hire other people? to convey and help and coach your students on on what originally was your, I guess, your ideas and concepts? All of my coaches have come through my program. And so, you know, there's some risk to that, but it has lent me, I've tried people who were not in the program and they were fine. They were fine. Average. And average doesn't work for me or you. And so what it came back to is these people who had come through the program, they already had the knowledge. They already knew they could speak for me. They really could complete my sentences because it wasn't like they were, they had just come through the program. They had been through the program, you know, a year or two ago and had continued to follow me, listen to every podcast. They believe in the program. And so when somebody was asking them questions, they weren't coming back to me to ask me, so how would you answer this? And so I really cultivated a group and it's, 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 um, I would look at it like a, 
they want to be asked to come into this program. They want to, they love, they love it. And they're able to support me in a completely different way. And so the other thing that I loved about, that I love and am really passionate about is I am one operator in the world. I have had the guts to create something and turn it into a certification. However, this doesn't mean this, this is the only way to be an operator in an online business. So I love pulling in discipline experts. I mean, I'm not a, a financial wizard. I do not have a background in accounting, but we teach the basics of financials and how to support somebody at a strategic level. And so it makes all the difference in the world to have someone for me, even me, to directionally be able to point someone to when they're having a financial question or something like that. And so it's taken a lot of, I would say, pressure off of me to have all the answers and to do it right and to direct them to somebody who's a stinking expert, who's got lots and lots of experience in being able to to solve that question. And so it gives them another perspective and it also provides them an expertise in something I may or may not have. I pride myself in being a generalist. And so having these specific functions and support underneath me has been, it's been really helpful for me and then also helpful for the student. So if I'm, if I'm actively trying to find like other piano teachers, other people that can come in and, and lead the weekly Q&A or, or be there for students, sounds like you'd recommend I, I start with my existing student base. Absolutely. And it's another revenue stream for them. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a small revenue stream. Like it doesn't have to be huge, but these are, t- these are all people who have a passion for developing people. So this is not their full-time gig. This is something that they are. Now we are transitioning into that in, in, in the upcoming quarters um, to be able to have full-time support in this capacity. But as I was growing this over the last two years and adding this, this component to it, this was very fractional. I mean, we're talking like 12 hours a month. We're not talking about, you know, 12 hours a week even. So, you know, it was just another way of highlighting star students who had an expertise, who also love developing the brand that I have built. And so it's, it's really been a win-win. When they're not full-time employees, they're, they're 12 hours a month in some cases, like you just pay, pay them an hourly rate. Is that how it works? Yeah, actually I have, I'm a big flat fee person. So we have, we just charge one flat fee for the entire month. It makes it very easy. Logistically, I'm not a big hourly person. I'm not a fan of hourly work. I think that the commitment level looks very different for somebody who just has ownership over an outcome. We've moved into incentivizing these roles as well. So if we've defined milestones and what success looks like for our students, and instead of me as the leader of this business, feeling like I am the only person who's supporting at this place, it may be small to some of your students who are listening to this right now, but I have 90 people going through a certification just a year and a half ago. I had 20 over the entire year. And so it's it's big growth, what feels like big growth to me. But at the same time, I, I cannot be responsible for tracking, for following up, for knowing where these people are. And so now we've got these, you know, these, these leaders who take ownership of making sure that you know, you complete X, Y, Z, and I'm big on getting their investment back. And so they're tracking how much of the investment that they have gotten back. And so these three criteria that are very, very important to me that I know create a strong brand for a director of operations. If I've got an advocate inside the business who's following up with them and who is ultimately incentivized for making sure that we do everything that we possibly can, if that's creating, if, if that's me going live, if that's me creating a PDF, like those are so small. And if that's what helps them to get over the line, 
and to get their investment back or whatever the the criteria may be. I want to incentivize the coach to do that. And so that's another thing that we added this year. Do you think that do you think that uh, most course creators could learn something from that? Like literally have people, whether it's yourself or somebody else, like continue to follow up with people, reach out, initiate that contact, be like, hey, I could tell you didn't log in for, for a month. What's happening with your piano lessons? Like, is that something that you recommend that more course creators do? If you want to create a, I'm, I'm really big into, into legacy. And so I believe that this work is my legacy. And so if, if that's what I feel I'm called to do, it makes it really, really valuable to make sure that other people are finding value out of what I'm putting out there. So I think that in my own experiences, that's been a big gap from the other courses that I have taken. And so it was just my little way of, of making it a little different and stronger for my students. Really cool. I love that so much. Um, so you've experienced some pretty massive growth. It sounds like in the past year and a half, you said like 20 people all of last year. Now this particular cohort, you have like 90 people, right? That's insane growth. Like what, what do you attribute to that growth? Mostly a lot of mindset work, Jacques, to be, to be really frank, a lot of mindset work, but I used to tell myself that there was no way I could deliver such a great experience if I had multiple cohorts running at one time. And I had a coach who really, really challenged me and said, she really wanted me to go the evergreen route, to be honest. And at that time I was like, there's no way I can't do it. And I still really, really emphatically believe that I cannot do an evergreen model. And I can't see it for myself yet. But what I was willing to try was to to have multiple cohorts, but I knew I couldn't do multiple cohorts until I had this team of people to help me. And so we started out with a support team, the real fractional, you know, 12 hours a month. And then the other thing that's led to my growth is just building internally my team to be able to support Natalie, the leader, not only from the student perspective, but how do we build this brand, being able to add a director of marketing and, you know, an operator in the backside, which I mean, mentally as a business owner, that's, those are big, big blocks to overcome the financial separation of those, of those dollars that you've been bringing in. And also the moving into true leadership, not management, but leadership and leading you know, something that I can be really proud of and stand in, in great authenticity and, and integrity with. So are you still able to have like a direct relationship with all of the people coming through your program, given that? I mean, everybody, like you speak to everybody individually at some point? All the time. Yeah. Everybody has- that'll be able to, I mean, that, that can't scale. Everybody has Voxer access to me, but not everybody uses it. Really? Absolutely. So six cohorts a year right now, right now, 90 in this one. So I, mean, I can't do the math that quickly, but roughly 90 times six people going through it a year and they all get Voxer access to you. That's amazing. Yeah, they do. Is that one of those things where it's like people really don't abuse it, take advantage of, that, of it that much? <laughs> I'm amazed by how much they like ever. I feel like every single message starts with, Hey, this is so-and-so just answer this whenever you have a free minute. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm not going to look at it unless I have a free minute. Now, Jacques, the stage of life that I am in, I've got teenage kids. They're very athletic. I spend a lot of time in a car. I live in rural Texas. I drive my kids at least three to four hours every single day. So I spend a lot of time in a vehicle. And so Boxer is a very great medium for me to be able to have this connection. And I'm a massive people person. And so it's, I'm a verbal processor too. So you know, I probably enable them to be able to reach out to me, but it's, it really never feels abused. And when it does, I have no problem telling, I have no problem being the leader who says like, Hey, this is getting a little excessive. Make sure you use your accountability coach. And 
You know, if you've got a pointed question that they can't answer, that's when you utilize me. So I set that stage at the very beginning of our relationship. We just started another cohort um, just a few weeks ago. And that's that's in my introduction call. It's like, you've got this opportunity. You've got ample support. You will find an answer in this community. Here's the first place you go, the second place you go. I'm the third place. But if it's ever an independent issue that somebody can't solve, you're going to get help. And I think that, you know, these are respectful people. They're, you know, I, I really don't find anyone taking massive advantage of it. Well, my uh, my DOO speaks very, very highly of you. And, and I'm beginning to see why for sure. I mean, if, you, if those are the types of things you're offering within a program, and I think the wheels are probably spinning for a lot of listeners in terms of, oh, you know, I've, I've always wanted to have other coaches. Well, let me dive into my current student pool first. Oh, I could offer Voxer uh, support to to my students. And, and by the way, for those listening, that's just like a kind of a walkie-talkie app. It's like a texting app, but you you communicate via via voice. It's very cool. Yeah, and you can use this in different ways. You can your accountability coaches could be the person that has Voxer access with with the individuals. It doesn't have to be you. It works like I said. It works for me at this stage in my life because I spend so much time being quote unquote free and you know being able to have that. Plus, it's something that just makes it really fires me up. The the next question I have for you is I've I've had over a hundred um, like successful course creators on the podcast and it's very rare I come across somebody who not only has a course but like part of what you get with that course is you're certified by the end right why why don't you just have a, a program where they learn to operate a business or be a be an operations manager or whatever why why how do we get to that point of actually certifying people yeah. So when I first started down this path, I had a, I did do a course. It was very difficult for me to sell. And granted, I just, I was immature as a business owner in in this capacity and marketing is not my strong suit (laughs) to this very heavily in the backside of business and in the delivery part. So um, I was challenged in the marketing space as far as getting this course into the hands of people. Um, and there's plenty of things that we could do to dissect where the breakdown was. But what I really sat with, and I remember it was in November, I was speaking at a conference in in California and I was at the beach. Like I can paint the picture because the breakthrough literally happened at that moment. But I realized that I couldn't see and track the success. And I'm very connected to that. So I couldn't see the people who were coming in where they could be curious, they could be a lot of things. But were they really headed in the direction that I was teaching them? And so I started to think like, how can I make sure that they are truly going to go down this path and that my brand doesn't get watered down? Because of course, they're, they're competitive products to what I have. And how do I ensure that? And so I thought, first of all, I'll create an agency. And that was a miserable thought for me. And it didn't work out very well. But how can I how can I do this and amplify and multiply and scale what is working so well? And the two things that came up were I'll turn this into an agency or I will turn this into a certification because the course wasn't really profitable. I had spent a lot of money in production. I had spent a lot of money in marketing and I was not having success in the conversion. And so I had good content and people would tell me it's so good. It's changing my life. But the scale was not going to happen. In, in the way that I wanted it to. And so agency or certification were the two ways where I could really go all in on this. And the certification has been completely transformational. There's, um, from a marketing perspective, there's a scarcity, there's an exclusivity in the certification. That's true. Yeah. Which is, which has been, you know, helpful from a marketing perspective. From a delivery perspective and a success perspective, 
it's deep because I'm really, really connected. Nobody can hide here. If they're going to hide, I'm going to give them their money back because I don't want them associated with me. At the end of the day, when I look at my competitors, when I look at, at, at just competitive products on the market, it's the brand. And so I have been very intentional about making sure that this brand is not diluted. And I find that when you have people coming through who can take your concepts and do whatever they want to with them, they can become watered down, which ultimately makes me nervous because I've got great IP inside of this program. And so that's where the certification came up. And so then with the certification, if you guys are considering a certification, I started at the content level. What is the certification going to be? Making sure it wasn't too broad and it wasn't too narrow. And then next, what makes, when I look at the product of becoming a director of operations, what really makes that person? Who is successful? And what are the criteria? What is the criteria that we can look for in this person? And so there's a lot of imposter, by the way. <laughs> Insert massive imposter syndrome at this point, because you're like, who are you, Natalie Nicole, to be telling people that they are qualified or not qualified to become a director of operations? But um, we did some work. And you know what? Our criteria has not changed from day one. It's still the same criteria. Um, the hardest part for me as an empathic leader is telling people that they don't fit. And if you don't fit today, you you don't like get to go work on it and get more experience and come back two years later. Like if you don't fit, you never fit. And there are just some things that we internally look at to qualify this. And you know, we have an advisory board who helps me making that decision because I'm way too connected to people. I feel like I'm really breaking their hearts whenever I tell them no. Um, but really, we're allowing them to go deeper in, in other things if if they're um, and we can go deep into the criteria that we have come up with. But that's a really important part if you're thinking about about doing this: is what is the criteria that makes your most successful person successful? That's that's how we design the criteria. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to lean to this into this more. I mean, I'm talking to Natalie, the course creator, right now, and and really getting a sense of of what where your passions lie around all this. You mentioned the you mentioned November. Are we talking November 2019 when this whole kind of epiphany happened, or is it before that? 2018. 2018. So at this point in time, November 2018, you had a course on operations, becoming an operations person, but it was simply a course like nothing, no interaction at all. We had a Facebook group. Facebook group and then just a course hosted on like a teachable or something. Mm -hmm. Yes. And at that time I had four director of operations clients that I was serving. So I really didn't have capacity and I didn't want it to be confusing oh, wow. to my clients either. And so, you know, I think as we pivot and as we grow, we, you know, and we, we do these little, you know, I was, I had four clients. I went down to three clients so that I could spend time developing the course. And then I had this course moving in the background, but I was still serving three clients. Like, I mean, come on, I'm a, I'm a working woman, a working wife, a working mother. Like I just couldn't do it all. And I was still serving three clients in a very large capacity. So there wasn't a lot of hands-on uh, training or support to this. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I still, I'm still confused on one thing. And that is, I, I get the epiphany. You just, you wanted to serve people at a different level. You wanted far higher success rates. You wanted to know that these people going through your program were successful. So why not just a group coaching program that looks a lot like yours does now? Like I'm, I'm, I'm missing the part why it has to be an actual certification. I did the group program as well. 
um, we, we did go through the group program. The group program was attracting a lot of people that were my peers, a lot of people who were in that five figure a year earner bracket. And so they were coming to me and um, I was able to walk them through, but they didn't have, they're, they're not, most business owners are not operators. They are marketers who, who love and are passionate about their product or about getting the sell. And so teaching them operations was unsexy. And so, you know, the, I loved the group program, but it was also not the best use of me when I really, people would come through that program and say, okay, I've learned all about it. Now, how do I find somebody who, this is getting to the root of your question (laughs) and I missed it, but um, how do I find somebody who can just do this in my business? Like we've grown my business enough to where I've got enough revenue coming in that I can actually pay somebody to do this. So how do I find somebody just like you? Because you're full, you've got this group program, you've got this course, you've got, now you've got two pretty much heavy, you know, part-time clients. And how do I get a Natalie into my business? And that was the confirmation that I I was referring and I was really burned, Jacques, because I was referring people who I thought I was seeing them online. They were kind of having the same, you know, they were serving clients like I was serving clients, but I don't really know them. I just saw, oh, Betty Sue would be great for you. I bet she does the same thing I do. So Jacques, do you want to see, can I introduce you to my friend, Betty? Betty would come in, but you would trust her because I told you that Betty was good. And then Betty came in and maybe was not a great culture fit for you or didn't deliver on what she said. And then I just felt terrible that Betty did not work out for you. And so I thought, how can I really ensure that this person, when I refer them to my friends or the people that are coming to me, how can I ensure that they're quality? What do I need to do? I can't make Betty take a course. But if Betty wants to be in touch with people that I have access to, because I have no problem speaking to lots and lots of people um, and building relationships in that way, how can I make sure that this is really a win-win for everybody? And that's exactly, I think that answers your question. That's, yes, I get it now. Yes, I get it. Yes, yes. So um, there's been some very interesting legal things to go along with that. So if you're going to to go down this path, I would also caution you that I've had to separate church and state legally to make sure that I didn't have a franchise, but that's getting very, very nerdy. But just to let you know that you want to, if you go down this route and this all makes sense to you to having a a good legal help and and consultation has been invaluable to me. So when you're, when you're certifying people, you're basically giving them your personal stamp of approval. Like, Hey, Hey, business owners out there. Like I approve of this person to be a DOO in your business. And there are certain things that you have to do in your program to make sure that you believe in that person and, and you're not, if it's just a group coaching program, if it's just a program where there's no actual certification at the end, then then you're just not going to get that. Yep. The other thing was the protection of the IP, right? Like I have had to license some of my, um, you know, I've, I've licensed now, we've licensed two different parts of the intellectual property because I didn't want it to get lost in translation. And so the, there's another, you know, layer of, of exclusivity that has been mm-hmm. very, very rich and helpful. But uh, when business owners come to me, they now ask me for strategic mapping. And I'm assuming that you guys went through strategic mapping in your own we business, <laughs> but that was transformational for my clients. I couldn't see it for myself, but that could have been, its own, that could literally be its own standalone product. And, you know, you live and you learn, but giving that IP as a part of the certification has allowed them to create an independent business if they wanted to, they could just do strategic mapping for a living. 
Yeah, and that's one of one of the many great things about having a, a DOO on on our team. It's like it's not somebody that I just give tasks to. Here, we need to do this task. We need to do this task. She's coming to me. It's like, okay, Jacques, now it's time to do our strategic planning. I'm like, what? What are you What are you talking about? You know, she's coming to me with all these new things, and in a lot of ways, like the the opposite relationship that I'm used to. And when she'll like call me out for not completing a certain task when I said I was, it's like. For the first time in my business, I've been in business for eight years. Like I've never had that. It's an it's an amazing like new type of person in my business. It's really cool. So I get the certification thing now. That makes a lot of sense. I don't think it applies to say my business, but I'm sure there are people listening that that are are getting it now too. It could apply to them. Like for me, like I don't need to certify anybody in being able to play piano because nobody's coming like looking for certified like. Yeah. They can play the piano in 21 days way. Like that that doesn't apply, but I'm sure there are people listening who it does. Sure. So let's get into a little bit more about how the program works, how you structure it. So let's say I it looks like it's you've got to apply. So I apply, you accept me. I know I'm not a woman, but let's just say hypothetically. Um, the program starts like, do I immediately get access to a library of videos or is it like dripped out? Is there meetings once a week? Like, how do you facilitate the actual program? Oh, you're in my head because I struggle with this all the time. <laughs> I want to make it just so perfect. And so we're always revising. But as of now, as we are recording this, when someone signs up, they get the first two modules, which is actually module zero, which is kind of an introduction module. And then module one, which is the, it's the gold. It's the greatest um, aha and monetizable product that we're going to be talking about throughout the the eight different modules that we go over. So they get instant access to that. And then when we officially kick off, because they may pay me now and the, the next cohort may not start for another four weeks or so. And so once we start meeting, we drip every single week, they get new content and our coaches for that particular discipline. If we're talking about project management this week, and that's the content that was dripped, our project management expert coach comes up and she supports that week in the content in the Facebook group. She leads the, what we call a get it done session, which is like active accountability. So we have homework assignments with homework suggestions. I don't actually, I'm not grading homework. These are all adults. They're all leaders. If they're going to be leaders in other businesses, I'm, I'm not going to be doing that. But if they do that, if they do that and they complete the, the suggested homework, they bring it. We do, we do live reviews of the homework to see what they're doing, what their obstacles are, what questions they have. And that's what the expert coach does throughout the week. And then on Thursdays or Fridays, depending on the cohort, I show up and do a strategic advisory. So for any question that was not answered or came up through the accountability coaches, they aggregate all of that information. And that's what we talk about on Fridays. What's the uh, what's the software stack they're using to execute on all of that? We use Thinkific for our course platform. And we do all, I mean, everything is through Zoom and we have our Facebook group. Cool. Pretty simple. I like it. All right. So I was first introduced to something called an online business manager, OBM, about six months ago, um, way before I, I knew about you and, and DOOs and all of that. So I kind of started uh, going down that, that path a little bit. What is the difference between an OBM and a DOO? There's a lot. I'm going to start by saying there's a lot of overlapping skill sets. There's an incredible amount of overlapping skill sets. The difference is that a director is more of a strategic partner in your business. And the online business manager is excellent for lots and lots and lots of businesses out there. So if you as the business owner are not necessary, you need somebody to be more of a project manager 
and potentially an implementer, then um, you're probably looking at the online business manager. If you're looking at someone to come in and to really be kind of what you were just talking about, Jacques, about having that person who's a strategic partner, who's also a project manager and in charge of people developing talent on your team, really um, specific when it comes to helping you you know, grow and scale your team, a director. I mean, just even in the name business, you know, a, a manager versus a director, there is a lot more leadership. I, I specifically am looking at past leadership experiences to that's part of our criteria. And so I need to make sure that they are leaders. It's very, very difficult to quantify, by the way, that has been a big challenge. And a lot of um, it's given me lots to think about. But the other thing is in the online business management space, a lot of people come through the virtual assistant path. And so these people have been, have a lot of experience in the implementation space. And that is fantastic for a lot of businesses, but your director of operations is typically not going to be an implementer. They're going to be more of a strategist and potentially a project manager or a people manager in your business. Whereas on the OBM space, you've got a lot of, of technical skill sets that are rising into the to the management layer of the business. And it tends to be very marketing heavy. I mean, in the certification, they do a lot of training in the marketing space. I don't touch marketing. I don't believe that it's fair to have somebody who is going to be overseeing both marketing and operations. There's a big, you know, there's a big division when it comes to strategy of marketing and strategy of operations. So I don't go into, I'm not going to be teaching funnels. We support funnels all day long from a project management perspective, but we actually, we may not know. And this is a, this is a generalized statement. So every person, everyone's experience can be different, but from a DOO perspective, we are not going to be telling you how to set up a funnel. That knowledge is going to come from a strategist and that strategist may be you as the business owner. And it could be a consultant. It could be a director of, of marketing, whatever that looks like in your business. But the place where we as operators step out of is in the marketing strategy. So the, the kind of overall organizational structure has vaguely come up a couple of times. So I'm curious what you recommend as an overall structure. And I know that's going to greatly depend on the, the size of the business and the goals and whatnot, but is there is there a kind of a general answer? Or would you like me to give a specific example of a type of company? I teach about this, so I'm happy to share it with you guys. Cool. I've already talked about the front side and the back side of business being marketing in the front, operations in the back. Underneath there, there are four different layers. I'm totally going into teacher mode really quick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there are four different layers of responsibilities that need to happen. Before you tune me out, this does not mean that you need four different people on both the front and the back side of business. That is not scalable. And I am all about the leanest team possible. So in those four different layers, starting from the bottom, the most necessary are going to be the implementers. So you may have a marketing implementer and you also need someone to implement um, processes, procedures, projects on the backside of business. Okay. So you have the implementer above that. You've got the management level above that. You have strategy. And then at the very top, you've got vision. So as a business owner, just all of us like think back to when you first started this business. And if that's where you are right now and you are experiencing overwhelm or you don't know what to do next, or you have so many questions, you feel like you need so much support. It's because you're trying to do both the front side and the back side of business and also manage those four layers. Because as a solopreneur, that's what you're doing. You're managing front and back, top to bottom, and it gets extremely overwhelming and there's a lot of challenge. And so 
the natural thing at that moment is, ah, I need help. Where do I need help? I get questions all the time when I am working in the HR discipline of businesses where they'll come to me and they'll say, I need to hire, I need to scale this team, and I have no idea where to go. This is the exact framework that that people pay lots of money to be able to, to determine. But if you, just looking at you, Jacques, you are strong in the marketing space. You've done a lot of development and, and I'm assuming a lot of training and education in getting better and better and refining that. And so your natural ability is in the front side of business. It's not hard for you to show up on camera. It's not hard for you to record a podcast or to build relationships with your students or with your or potential students or peers. So you naturally slant yourself into marketing. So you hold the vision right now. I'm assuming you hold the vision for both the marketing and the operations of the business. Underneath that, because you've done so much development, you also own the strategy. I don't know your, by the way, just PS, I'm, I'm putting. You're making great assumptions. Okay, good. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't know the format of your business, but this, this will apply. And I think this can be helpful. Um, the strategy of marketing is owned by you as the CEO, because that's where you have developed. That's where you feel natural. You say, this is the funnel. I am going to develop. But at that point in your business, you're like, I need a manager to make sure that this happens, that nothing breaks, and that we're optimizing. And so that's the management layer. And so you have chosen to, to, to get support in that management layer. And then underneath that is the implementation. And that's where we see lots and lots of contractors where we see maybe a funnel builder, a copywriter, a graphic designer, a, I mean, there's, we can go on and on and on. So that's on the marketing side. On the operation side, you still have the same things, but a lot of us in business, we hold both the vision, the strategy, and even the management for a really long time because it's not sexy. It's scary. It's overwhelming. There's not a big return. I've heard it all. And we'll bring in maybe an implementer at the, at the entry level to help us with, uh, we call these people virtual assistants, operational assistants. You know, that's the titles that you see in that space that will help us do hashtag all the things or to help us get our calendar set up or help us to do with, you know, email management or loading emails into ConvertKit or whatever, you know, tool you're going to be using. But I think that that framework really helps people with understanding that you're not going to have eight people on a team that you as the leader of the business is going to likely hold vision and strategy until it makes sense financially for you to bring somebody in. In your business, you have brought in somebody in the, in the backside in that operational strategic level who is owning both strategy and management. And I believe everybody that's on your team needs to hold, I mean, to make it financially profitable for you, they need to hold more than one layer. There, I don't believe that we have big enough businesses to say that you're only going to do this. Even if I bring in an implementer into my business, I want to be able to see capacity and development. I want to be able to see capacity and their desire to grow into that next layer of management. If I can't see them being managers in the business, I'm probably not going to hire that person. So I believe just to kind of sum this up, I believe everybody in your business should have should own two layers, but nobody should be responsible for three layers. I got it. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I can totally picture like a, a really pretty diagram with these layers in the front end and the back end. I'm sure that exists. <laughs> you I'm guessed sure it. you've made that. Yeah. So like, I'm learning so much about this from you. Like, I know that I'm assuming most people come to you because they want to be a certified DOO. But if somebody's listening to this, they just want to learn more about how to operate their company. Do you have resources 
for that type of person? Yeah, we, I mean, we've got a, a ton of blogs out there. We've got lots. And um, obviously, I have a podcast called The Ops Authority. And there's a lot of, of great content out there that you can find. But if you're looking for somebody to come in and just do, maybe you don't need an ongoing retainer director of operations. I mean, we have over 160 certified directors of operations, and some of them really are passionate about organizational design, which we teach inside of the program. But if you're looking for a consultant to do that, it doesn't have to be me. We've got an army of women who can do that as well. So um, we have a hiring form on our website, theopsauthority.com forward slash hiring. So if you're looking to hire any in any capacity, whether it's consulting, whether it's full-time, you can always go there and we're going to point you to the right, to a good resource. Okay. So if we, if somebody's listening and they feel like a director of operations might be a good fit for them, not sure about long-term, like that's, that's an okay thing to do is have somebody come in for say three months and just kind of optimize things and then part ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, people, we build businesses just like you guys build businesses. So we build businesses in lots of different ways. Sometimes people are just coming in in a project or in a project consultancy way. Some are just consultants who just come in, give you strategy and and, and walk out. Some come in um, in a retainer capacity. We get lots of people who like the retainer model because we are givers, we're servants. We we enjoy being able to contribute to something and we're not visionaries. So you're not going to find my people being big visionaries. We get great joy from latching on to somebody else's vision. And we have felt really devalued for a long time. And I'm just giving you the the mental state of the person, maybe not mental state, but the, the way that we think. We have felt like we couldn't be good business owners because we really don't cast big visions. It's very, very difficult for us. And so we naturally gravitate towards people who have big visions because we get a ton of joy from making it happen. You guys get a ton of joy from dreaming, from finding that vision. And so that's where the partnership feels so, so good and can be a huge growth vessel in a business. Yeah. I had somebody on the podcast recently who who had a far bigger business than me. And he had a probably a smaller team than me. And I was kind of off air. I was, we were chatting briefly about, I was like, have you heard about like OBM or a DOO? You thought about something like that in your business. And I was explaining to him this concept. His question was, he's like, if that person's so great and they do all those things, I don't understand why they wouldn't want to just run their own business. Right. And I think you just hit the nail on the head with the response there. Like that's exactly the type of thing they want to do. They're, they're that type of person. They want to team up with the visionary. Most of us are incapable of, I mean, we're incapable of having that big vision. And I do a lot of coaching around that. Like, it's not bad. That's the way that we're wired. And to be honest, a lot of females, I mean, that's why you see females in support spaces in nursing and teaching and administration. I mean, you can look back. I mean, it's not, it it doesn't have to be a gender specific thing, but by and large, that's what you see. That's the way that, you know, that's the way that we're made. So we are nurturers and, and that's part of it. The other thing is, this profile of person is very risk averse. And as a business owner, there's a lot of risk that comes along with this. And so, you know, that may not be where they are at this stage in life. And the third thing I would say is marketing is not, marketing takes a different type of person and a different mindset. And that's not your operator. Your operator loves checking boxes, creating a plan, upholding structure, creating structure. They get a lot of joy off of doing that. They do not enjoy getting on camera. They do not enjoy, they may not enjoy building face-to-face relationships. I mean, that's, it's just a different person. It's kind of like the whole 
concept of, you know, right brain versus left brain. It's it's really like when the whole yin and yang thing come together. It's just when you see it happen and you experience it, it's unlike anything that you probably envisioned because business well it grows, but at the same time, you as the leader are able to step into what you truly enjoy when you are matched and find the right counterpart to that. About a year ago, I had two people on my team and it was my executive assistant who's been with me for a very long time. And then my podcast editor today, the team is far bigger, but I was like, okay, I'm going to buckle up and I'm going to set up some project management software. We're going to get out of these spreadsheets. I'm going to set it up. I used ClickUp at the time. I started going through it started to and and look I have a background in project management like I I used to be a certified PMP mm-hmm. like I have a background <laughs> and I hated it like I could not figure things out I I was very like uh repulsed by the activity of setting things up and I just gave up on my my spreadsheets are far better we went back to the spreadsheets and then Colleen came in and she's like I like Asana let's do Asana and she set everything up you know, over the course of several weeks, now my entire business, all my spreadsheet, everything is now in Asana, the whole team, you know, eight of us, nine of us. And to your point, I was like, man, I told her the story about me trying to set up ClickUp. And I was like, I hated doing this, but I'm so glad it's now done. I love now that it's done. She's like, Jacques, you don't understand how much fun I've been yes. having. Like, this has been the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Like, I love every part of this. And I'm like, you are crazy. Yeah. But you just explained exactly why somebody like that enjoys yeah. that. And thank goodness for, for yeah. those type of people. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. It's really cool. A few minutes ago, we were talking about short-term versus long-term. Like you said, somebody can just kind of come in and set things up for you. What about full-time versus part-time? Do most of your certified DOOs come in and do part-time work for people? <laughs> this is... I'm going to say something that when they listen to this, they're going to be like, but I'm going to tell you, this is what happens. Remember, I just got through telling you that we are not natural marketers, that that is a big challenge for my people. Yes. But when they come to me, they're they're usually leaving corporate or changing careers or intentionally up-leveling who they're serving. And so they're going through a transformation anyway. I partner with them at the right time to give them the tools so that they build confidence so that they can then sell these services. So- it is very normal when they're coming through my program that the person, actually 80, about 85% of the people who come through my program want to be, and they want to own their own business or build an agency or do, um, do their own thing. And guess what? <laughs> one year later, I could predict it. Most people one year later come back to me and say, when you get full-time roles, when people come to you and want full-time roles, I want to be the person you reach out to. Because guess what, Jacques? It's freaking hard to own a business. <laughs> and so I think that the, it's, it's a competing interest. It's like you trying to set up ClickUp, right? You trying to be that project manager when your real gifts and skills are in a different part of the business. And so you know they, they go into it thinking one thing, but they typically come back around the other way or they become course creators. And we support that vision as well. There are, you know, lots of different ways that we can become directors of operations, but um, at the beginning, most of them are looking for, they're looking to run their own business and to, and what that means is that they want to serve several clients in a smaller capacity. A portion of them will fall in love with one of those clients and not, not in that way, but 
they will be very, very connected to their mission and the values of the leader and them will overlap so much that they want to go all in. And so, you know, that, that naturally, that definitely happens. It happened to me. I actually took that same path. Um, so this is not a foreign concept to me, but I went all in with somebody for, um, for two straight years. I was fractionally with them for two years. And then the next two years, I was full-time in their business at the same time, kind of creating my own thing on the side. But it's, it's really, you, you just don't know. And it's, it's looking, I holistically help them to understand where they are right now in their life and what they need. And so we kind of have like an internal quiz where I help them to determine what kind of path you need to go down to serve you, your family, your financial needs, your legacy. What does that look like for you? They can choose to take my my advice or not. And and most of them do, some of them don't. And then at the same time, are you looking at full-time? Are you looking at part-time? Are you looking at fractional? What is it? Because because not everybody, not every female can work 40 hours a week or 20 hours. Like we we customize it to them. So you you speak very passionately about all this. There's there's no question about that. You you're obviously doing exactly like uh, what you're meant to be doing, but like in your words, like why is this so important to you? Like what what is the impact you're seeing? Even if you could bring up a specific example of somebody that you've helped, like a success story from somebody you helped, like why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, I'm going to give a backstory here. So I spent 15 years in corporate, and before corporate. I was, I went to school for nursing and for business. And I know this is crazy. I'm going to tell you a real windy story, but I bet everybody on the line has a windy story. So um, I went to school for nursing and I went on, I got a graduate uh, degree in a specific type of nursing. So it, you know, that I think this paints the picture of, you know, high achiever, high, high dreams, definitely first person to go to college in my family grew up, you know, very mediocre to less. And was really looking for more and more and more. And so I found that through education for a long time. And so I was definitely overeducated and very in debt. (laughs) So um, I went down the path of nursing and then really did lots and lots of development after that. And we moved from state to state, Medicare, blah, 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 like stuff you guys don't care about, not being in the medical field. But when we moved um, from Colorado to Texas, there was some Medicare changes that didn't allow me to do to earn what I was earning and to to utilize the degree that I had just gone in massive debt for. So we moved here and or to Texas. I'm still in Texas, good old San Antonio. So when we moved here, we had that change. And I was I was, I mean, I think I was young at the time. <laughs> I still feel 27. So I guess that works. But this is almost 20 years ago. And we we're in this, you know, eighth largest city in the country. And I'm thinking, how can I, as a nurse, how can I not get a job doing what I have spent all of this money on? And something at, at that point, that's where I really started doing a lot of deep search for what does success look like? Like what, and, and like take, try to do everything I could at that time at the ripe age of, of 26 of like pulling back everything that was in, that had been told to me, which is, you know, nursing or something consistent, right? Like I came from not having a real consistent upbringing financially. And so I was looking for that consistency and that's what was filling the gap at the time. And I really wanted to shed those beliefs. And and I did a lot of work to figure out what, what is next for me, because it wasn't nursing in the city of San Antonio. I, I, I knew that there were seven people in the eighth largest city in the country that did what I was wanting to do. And they were doing it for $14 an hour. 
And when you owed $178,000 in debt, the math is really easy to figure out there. <laughs> so, so I really transformation, like that is where the growth and the development really started. Um, and so I started applying to all these jobs that were completely outside of healthcare and in these massive big corporations that were headquartered here in San Antonio. I knew I was going to be told no a million times, and I certainly was. And I ended up working at USAA, which is a big financial institution here in in the state of Texas and throughout the United States, actually. And I got lucky enough and I learned how to position myself and to sell the skills that I naturally had because healthcare was not going to get me in the door at USAA. So I started to sell the skills that I was really good at. And I had no idea what names to call those skills besides organized, besides methodical, besides logical, besides empathic. Like those are, those are traits. So I started having conversations and I would get asked to come into interviews and know I was going to not make a lot of them, but using those skills and being, I came into that organization through the HR discipline and was really granted a a lifetime of adventure and of challenges. And I am grateful for that corporate experience. And just through my own success there was asked to, you know, I was in leadership. I was in the executive ranks there, moved over into project management. I never, guys, I went to school for nursing. Like, why would I be a leader in the project management space of the sixth largest insurer in the United States. Like it made no sense. But eventually I ended up going on to be, or to be asked to be the chief of staff for our CEO. And that's kind of where my path and where my big, uh, another transformation happened. But I'm telling you this because I had children along this journey at that, at this point we're nine and six and we were paying a pretty penny to have somebody else run them to their activities to pick them up from daycare, because as you may imagine, being the chief of staff for a 37,000 person or employee company, you didn't work from eight to five. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of mom guilt, if you would, in doing that. And so um, the the leader, the CEO was leaving and the new CEO was bringing his new staff. And I had opportunity all over this company to go work for other people. And I was actively interviewing because I had no, no thought of ever leaving. And I had a big moment where it just, it was, it was happenstance and it was completely divine. But our babysitter at the time called me and was kind of breaking down because my kids were breaking down. And when I really took that call, I was ticked off. I was like, oh my God, why is she calling me? Like I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z. I was very frustrated. And when I really took a, a breath after I hung up that call, I really like, this is getting emotional, but I just broke down. Cause I'm like, this is not, this is not the Natalie that I really want. And I've got this great opportunity right now to step out of this rat race and to be the mom to Zach and Emery that my mother couldn't be because she was a single mother. So I can do this different. I've got a great support of a, of a well-earning, well-supportive husband to be able to do this different. And I just went on a quest for under the guise of legacy. Like what is a legacy life to me? And how am I going to do this differently? Can I do this inside of this building? And as an executive in this business, I no doubt was going to be, you know, a female president in this company or a female senior vice president in this company. And as I looked at the, like that and that title with having a legacy life, just, it did not compute to me. And that's not to say it can't happen for other people, but for me, it just, it couldn't. And so to answer your specific question, why do I do this? Why am I so passionate? 
I walked away from corporate on a hope and a prayer that I was going to be able to find something else and build something different and still be in integrity with who I am. Not, um, I don't take away any of my corporate experiences, but through those skills that just, I, I wasn't trained in these skills, Jacques. Like this is, this is, this is me being able to come in and to build success off of a skill set and drive work ethic and ambition, all adjectives that allowed me to be successful inside of this company. I never called them operations, even inside of USAA. They were never called, it was never called operations. But knowing the transformation that I was able to make across many different organizations inside of there all came back to a skill set. I knew I could apply that. And of course, I had lots and lots of knowledge at this point and lots of experiences, lots of learnings, lots of paid development, which is what corporate can be so great for that I was able to, to do this and, and recreate it for the small business owner, which was very accessible to me, allowed me time freedom, allowed me some of those things that I could not have. Again, looking at legacy, legacy, legacy. And that's what drives everything. That's why I'm so passionate about the brand too. Like making sure that when you come through this brand, it's not only that you're a director of operations, but you've come through the ops authority. I personally coach you, you know, give you guidance. If, if Colleen has a problem, she's got me forever. Like she has partnered with me to build a legacy. And so you can tell very passionate, <laughs> but that's the long story as, as to answer your short question of why it is that I show up and do this every single day and why I'm so passionate about something so nerdy as operations. It's a skill set that lots of us have. And I believe that it is necessary to be able to grow and scale. And if we are going to live and be in a capitalistic world, that I know that if you're going to generate more revenue, you're going to have to scale and you're not going to scale by yourself. I mean, that's just, that's really powerful. I really appreciate you sharing that story. And um, it just, I mean, we talked for an hour and then I got that story and it's like, it just brings everything together so well, I think. I really appreciate that. You mentioned the word legacy so many times and um, Fix This Next by Mike Michalowicz. I don't know if you've read it, but like he's got the business hierarchy of needs and I'm pretty sure the top one is legacy. And the the first one is um, just like profit and sales, like right, money coming in is kind of at the bottom and legacies at the top. And like, when I got started, I was thinking about the money, right? I wasn't thinking about the legacy when I when I got started. And it's very interesting to hear for you that that's like one of the first things that really made the transition for you um, is you, you've been thinking about legacy all along. Really cool. Right. But I came into this as a very mature adult. <laughs> so <laughs> my, my kids were already teenagers when I got into this. And so legacy, I think just timing of it also kind of helped with, with and it, it was so pivotal to me. I knew it, it was what was missing for me. And so, you know, when you know what's missing, it's easy to fill, it's easier to fill that gap and it, it won't ever stop being my guiding light. So legacy is a big deal to me. <laughs> are you, are you implying that I might not have been mature in my mid twenties? <laughs> I feel like you're a lot younger than me right now. So, <laughs> well, we've already established you're 27, so I don't yes, know if that's true. Absolutely. Okay. Well, look, I'm going to clunkily transition to, to a much deeper question because I really wanted to ask you this and get your opinion. Um, it's, it's nowhere near as deep, but please tell me what is the difference between DOO, COO, uh, operations manager, and you've even used the word operator. Like, is there a difference between any of those? So operator is like the top, like it's the discipline of being an operator, kind of like you're a marketer. Like there's a lot of different vessels of marketing. There's a lot of different components to being an operator. So I use the term operator. Um, other people may use the word integrator 
or I mean, there's a lot of other things, but I think that those are the two. I like the word operator plus integrator is actually trademarked. So I don't use that word. It definitely respects somebody who goes and secures their intellectual property. So um, operator is the large kind of discipline of operations. And then remember the layers that I talked about, the implementer, the, the manager, the strategist, and the visionary? They're, those, to me, this is, this is Natalie. This is how I look at those. At the bottom layer here, we have a what I would call an operations assistant or a virtual assistant. The next layer to that is where your operations manager sits or your or your business manager, your online business manager. That's that layer. And then the the layer, the strategy layer above that is where you'll start to see the terms director of operations, even chief of staff, integrator. That's where that level sits. At the visionary part of the operations discipline, that's where your COO comes into play. Most businesses that I talk to, most of the businesses that that your peers don't need a COO. A COO is someone who's going to be very disciplined and have expertise, 15 plus years of experience in both the HR and or the financial discipline inside of operations. And so most of our businesses don't need that because we're going to consult. We're going to have consultants or um, relationships to support those, but we don't need that one focus in our business because we just don't have enough resources to to substantiate the financial need of of doing that. So I believe most of us are going to stop at that director of operations, integrator, and maybe even the online business manager level of support. Um, but I would say once you pass about twenty five to forty million dollars in revenue, you may be looking at needing a chief operating officer. I'd venture to say there's probably not a lot of people in that particular demographic listening to this. I don't talk too many of them. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if they listen to this podcast enough, they'll get there. (laughs) I like it. You said uh, integrators trademarked. I didn't realize that. Is that I'm assuming by like the rocket fuel traction guys? Yes. Interesting. Well, Natalie, uh, the 27 year old, it's been quite a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for joining me. Let's do some calls to action. Like there's a variety of different ways you could offer value, continued value outside this podcast to people. So, so tell people where they should head to uh, to soak up some more of your content. Yeah, definitely. Whether you're on the business owner side or you're looking for a director of operations, or maybe you're listening and you're thinking, you know what, what she's talked about is exactly what I do and what I want to do. Coming over to our podcast at the Ops Authority is a great place to learn a lot. What Again, whether you're a business owner or, or an aspiring director of operations. We talk about both of those things over there. And then our website is, I mean, we've we've been in business for five years and we've we've never missed a blog or week of a blog. So we've got lots and lots of content wow. there too. So I would encourage you to come over to the Ops Authority. And then you can find us on any of our um, social channels that you frequent at the Ops Authority. Excellent. Natalie, thank you so much. I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That was Jacques and Natalie. Now you're back with Jacques and the Doc. Am I overusing that already? <laughs> it works. All right, David, come on back, man. That was that was the full conversation. Thoughts? Give us give us the overall thoughts first. Oh man, I, I mean, it's just so great that there are people that view operations like it's a party. I mean, yes. I, I picture <laughs> Colleen. Uh, Colleen's back there working on Asana. She's bobbing her head, listening to Miley Cyrus, like party in the USA. She's like, woo woo. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's not me, you know. You know, I was trying to think of some kind of a mullet reference because you and I are like, yeah, the marketing, that's fun. That's exciting. And, uh, you know, these operations people, they're like business up front, parties in the back. 
you know, they're just, <laughs> they're just having fun with it. But, you know, it's kind of like in marriage. I mean, sometimes we wish our partners were like us, could see the world through our point of view. But, you know, there's a quote that if, if two people married, we're the same, one of them's redundant. You know, you want differences. And, and it's just so great that some people really enjoy organizing, checking boxes. I'm glad that was like, that was your like overall takeaway. It's like, I'm so glad that, that people are different in general. That's what makes, that what makes me living in this world so much fun. And, and as far as running a business goes, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's like the operations piece, not only is it an essential piece of the business, it's not like a necessary evil because there are actually people that enjoy doing that. Like that's what they're passionate about. And thank goodness for those people because mm-hmm. I've learned that I'm not one of them. Right. All right, let's uh let's get into the weeds a little bit now. There's a couple of directions we can take here from the, from the conversation. One is just continuing to talk about operations, and then the then a completely different direction is just how Natalie runs her program, right? It's not an online course necessarily, it's an online program, I would say. So wh- which direction you want to go first? Just keep going up operations or talk about how she runs a program? Um we could jump straight into how she runs the program. Certification. Right. It's it's very interesting that that's I, I pressed on that when I was talking to her. It's like, but why? Why a certification? She, I was like, but why a certification, right? And at the end of the day, it came down to people are coming to her and to her business and her website looking for operations people. And if she's going to recommend people, if she's going to say these people are certified by the ops authority, then it's got to be like a world class program with all kinds of touch points and all kinds of um, interaction. And that's, that's really cool. And it's good as a business owner, knowing I can go to somebody like that if I need an operations person. Right. Yeah. That quality, quality element that from, from the people considering taking her course, they're like, this will let, let potential people that would hire me know that I'm competent. And then also, you know, you going to her, you say, yes, she has, she has done the quality control on these people to the extent possible. It's it's powerful. Well, I've gotten emails from from my students before. It's like, hey, when I finish the course, am I going to get a certificate? I'm like, <laughs> not that it's like certificate and certification are exactly the same thing, but it's like, no, like I wasn't planning on it. And I could like one day I could have like a certificate just if somebody wants to print it out and frame it. But like I was telling Natalie, like I don't need to certify people because nobody's, nobody's looking for a certified piano in 21 days piano player, at least not that I'm aware of. Um, but I, 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 for the first time, I really understand why you would want to have an actual certification with your program. And I hope that listeners can take that away and, and think about their particular niche um, and, and whether a certification would make sense for them. Sure. Well, you use a service called Pick Snippets. Uh, you could actually give people a point where when they feel like they've, they've reached their goal, they could uh, fill out their information and you could send them uh, uh, through pick snippets, uh, a certification kind of thing and have some fun with that. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. And you know, now that I'm on this new platform, that's WordPress based, there is no limit to what I'm able to do. I've been I've been geeking out so hard on Buddy Boss and LearnDash and then just all the WordPress plugins and, and possibilities. <laughs> um, it's, you know, like we talked about in the platforms episode, like there's there's a lot of pros to be on WordPress. There's also a lot of cons as well. But so far, so far, so good. Um, just because I have the right people helping me to manage it. But yeah, I don't. That that's certainly low on the priority list. But I wanted to make sure the audience heard that part about actual certifications. But then, as far as run how she runs her program too, like the fact that everybody kind of has a personal relationship with her and, and can 
send her a Voxer anytime. Like that, that was kind of, that kind of blew me away. Right. Um, so in that context though, I mean, she was willing to give the Voxer access because she has a group of teachers who will be the front line of answering questions. So when would you be at a point to bring on some of your former students as actual teachers or does that appeal to you at all? Yeah, it really does. I think that's really, really cool. I mean, this thing is growing and I am, I am just one person. And the more, the more in the, the weeds at the lower level, you know, runway level, as opposed to 40,000 feet, the less, you know, the company can grow and help more and more people. So, you know, we talked about this before, but I'm basically the only person on the team right now that, that plays or teaches piano and that needs to change. And the more I talk to people like Natalie, um, other people have had on this podcast who, who have other trainers on their team, the more I want to do that. Okay. Now your weekly Q and A's for your piano students, how well attended are those currently? Like how many people show up for those just out of curiosity? The people that show up live, it's usually about 30, 30 to okay. 40 live, but a lot of people, um, a lot of people watch the replay and it's funny, you know, my no, no offense at all, but my audience skews older and in general, there, there's more of a, a technology barrier, right? Mm-hmm. Just because they, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be mean. Those are my people, you know, my parents are older and, um, I, I respect all ages for sure, but that, that just is what it is. And so my point is that I'm constantly getting people commenting on the replay, thinking that it's live. They're oh, like, gotcha. Hey Jacques, I can hear you. Like three days later, they're like commenting. Hey, I, yep. I can hear you. It's all sounds good. And they're like asking questions. And so now every time I go live, I'm very clear. Hey, Hey everybody. Like if you see the red live at the top left, then we're live. If you don't see that, it's probably the replay and that's okay. Still watch it, but just know if I don't respond to your comments and questions, that's probably why. Mm-hmm. But every, no, no matter what I say every week that happens, Hey Jacques, I can hear you like four days later. Funny. Funny. Well, if you get a really interesting one, uh, you could put that uh, aside and set it aside for if you go on a vacation this year and you don't have a podcast episode. You can drop one of those in the podcast feed. It, it might be kind of interesting for the listeners. I don't know if they could let you know if that sounds sounds like something that would be fun to to hear how you do that. Giving me more ideas to think about. No, that's <laughs> I mean that's that's how I run my weekly Q and A. Usually, I just um, just show up and see what people want to talk about. But I, I usually try to have something in my back back pocket in case they're they're not as chattery that day and they want to just hang out. I mean, uh, the one right before Christmas. They didn't have a lot of questions. There was a lot of people on, so we played a little guessing game. And I would play a, I would play a Christmas song. I was like, okay, so you can name what this is first. And uh, you know that that was fun. Those, I I try to throw things in like that every now and then. Very fun. Well, early in the conversation with Natalie, she did talk about how, from her viewpoint, operations was really post sale activities, and instantly, kind of the alarm bells went off. Um, I think that that conversation for me. It highlights the beauty of an online course business in the sense that, again, you are encouraging current people listening to make next level courses, which have a step higher touch. But if you, if somebody listening still wants to make, just make the course and then focus on the marketing, that is possible. And uh, it just highlights, you know, a course business can, you got your course business down to a few hours a week. Now you're taking it to a higher touch point, but uh, yeah, that was an interesting discussion. Yeah, I was I was confused at about it at first, but it's you know online course business is very interesting, and it can be as as high or low touch point after the sale as possible. And and as you know, I'm getting more and more 
on the higher touch point side of things. But I, I know very successful people that are still have to do very little after the sale. And of course, that's to be even better in, in that case. But but yeah, I think that the I think there's operations within within every level. I mean, you look at the the four pieces I named earlier. You look at even like student success and testimonials. Like I need to have a better process in place for testimonials. I have one, thankfully, and everybody out there listening should have some sort of process, operational process for collecting and using testimonials as well. Right. So we we have a couple of touch points, 30 days, 90 days after somebody signs up for the course where we're actually asking for testimonials. That's automated. Where we need to get better is a better process on on actually repurposing and using the testimonials that we're getting. And that's I mean, that's that's operations. Definitely. Well, so let's say uh, that somebody out there is motivated to get this operations person. And uh, we're talking about not, you know, not just a few hour per, a week person that uh, or edits the podcast. I mean, we're talking about a business partner. And so the thing that I kept questioning is like, I know how I hire people in person, but how in the world would I assess the quality of this person when it's all virtual? They, they live across the country or they live in a, a different country. And so I was wondering if we could dive a little bit deeper on how basically what I look for in an employee and how I figure that out through through my hiring process. What are the some of the specific steps, you know, for that person out there that's maybe never hired somebody and they say I want to hire this ops person, how do I really get somebody great? I mean, we already said that the Natalie is trying to do a certification where the only people that get certified are excellent but you and I would know that we still would have to do our own research and validate that person. So you've never hired anybody that wasn't local, basically. Correct. <laughs> so so the 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 thought of hiring somebody remote in another state in another country is it's not it's not as straightforward to you. Is that what I'm getting? Correct. Yes, especially the more important the person, the more integral to the business, the more you pay them, the more that I would want to really make sure that I'm hiring the right person before I invest time and money into that person. So yeah, I'd love to dig into the things that I look for and what I do. So are you game to chat about that a bit? Yeah, let's do it. And and you know, just for full context, I've never really hired somebody locally. Like when I worked my job as an as an engineer for for eight years, same company, like I was certainly involved in the hiring process and I have a little experience there. But as far as my online course business goes, which I've done full time five years now, Almost my entire team is remote. The only person is I've got an intern that goes here uh, to LSU that helps me with a few things here and there. So she she's in person, but everybody else on the team I've never even met in person. Wow, yeah, that's that's kind of mind blowing for me with my experience. <laughs> All right, so go ahead. Uh, what, what do you what do you well, look for? Yeah, so I mean the biggest thing the, the the first thing is just it's dependable. So I mean it can be the nicest, most likable person, but if they don't show up when they said they were going to show up and what we discussed, I mean, it's going to be over pretty quick. And then also just this concept of, of loyalty or, or, or that I get them a, for a certain amount of time. Like, so, you know, kind of my first questions is, well, I want to see their work history. Uh, I'd love to see that they worked for their past companies for, for longer than six months at a time. And then I would actually be calling and checking those work references and making sure that they did actually work at those places. And then in an in-person interview, I'm definitely asking them questions about like, 
So where are you headed in life? Uh, where do you see yourself being in two years or five years down the road? What are your goals in a career? And I basically, I mean, I flat out asked them this. I'd say like, I'm going to try to make this your dream job. You know, I'm going to say thank you a lot. And then if you do a great job for me, it's like, how long do I get you for? So how are you assessing that from a distance? So what you're, what you're saying is, is, um, is loyalty is, is probably the top thing you're looking for in somebody. Well, yes, in the sense that if they're only going to work for me for six months and they already know that, I'd like them to tell me that uh, because that's going to be unacceptable. If they say probably going to be two years, well, if they seem really excellent, then we'll work with that. Well, I mean, the, the way you assess that, I don't see how it's much different remotely versus in person. Like, I go through probably a similar process that you do, except that we're not physically shaking hands or physically in the same room. But anytime I'm looking to hire somebody, we will get a pool of candidates, whether it's through Upwork or you know, going through um, onlinebusinessmanager.com to find an OBM, going through theopsauthority.com to find a director of operations, um, or, or going through like uh, GinaHorky.com or, or Abby Ashley's site to find uh, like a, a virtual assistant. You, know, you get a pool of candidates and then usually we'll narrow it down to say a top three, just kind of on paper, right? Based on resumes, cover letters, things that they submitted to you. And then it's an interview process, right? And so we do it, we do it on Zoom. And then from there, depending on what the job is, there might be like a trial task. You know, like when we recently hired this full-time transcriptionist, we gave, um, we had, we had interviews with the top three and then um, there were two that really stood out. So we took those two to the next level and gave them actual transcription tasks to see how, how they would do. And I can't remember if we paid them for that or not. Sometimes it's appropriate to actually pay them to do a task. I guess it kind of depends on how long it lasts. And then um, after that, I usually like to have a trial period, right? It's like, okay, you seem good, but like, let's let's throw you into the fire and see how you really perform with real work. And we'll go from anywhere from like a month to, to, to three months and, and have them, um, let's do a trial period and, and let's evaluate each other. Let's see if this is a good fit long term. And so that's, that's the process we go through in our virtual world over here. Definitely. Now, do you ask people essentially where they're headed and how long they see themselves yeah. working for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, those are the types of questions we, we do ask. It's, um, we look back at their history and then also like, hey, where do you want to be in a year? Where do you want to be in five years? And growth is certainly one of the things we look for. We don't necessarily want somebody that's just going to be content in the exact same role forever, right? We want people that are going to want to have training, get better, and grow within the company. And then the other big thing that we look for is just like buy-in, right? Because we we are directly impacting other people's lives, whether it's with learning piano or with online courses. And if they want to be a part of something like that, where you can actually see the results, you know, unlike my job as an engineer, it's like, okay, I helped that company make more of that chemical. Okay, big whoop, <laughs> right? There was, one chem- there was one company I remember doing some work for. I was um, kind of a consultant. So we worked for a lot of companies. And one of the companies we worked for was this... Um, it wasn't Monsanto, but it was like that where they do like a herbicide, which is, you know, I'm, I'm big into health and like eating organic. And, uh, and so that just did not jive with, with certain things that I believed in. So it wasn't, I wasn't very passionate about it. But um, if you can come in and see that your work is helping to 
genuinely help people, like that's that's buy-in and that's one of the things we're looking for. Gotcha. Yeah. So a second key characteristic for me is just this concept of being likable. Um, I mean, when I first started hiring, I would have people only send in resumes. And uh, after like a year or two, I just, I would get a stack of a hundred resumes and it was just so hard to sense. And so in person, I started asking people, if at all possible, drop off your resume in person. And I'd give them the hours that I was working with patients. But even if I was with a patient, I'd come out, shake their hand. And I will tell you that in a 30 second handshake and just thanking them for drop it off, I would sense whether I liked the person, whether they were somebody that I would potentially want to work with. And it honestly, it ruled out about probably 95% of people instantly. Is there an option when you ask people to send in their first resume to send in like a little video where you would actually, do you do that currently? There's, I mean, there's no, there's no limit to what, what the options are. You can do whatever you want. Um, for me, I have asked for like videos before. Typically that would be more on a second round because if you get a job that's very popular, you get a hundred applications. Well, a hundred videos is a lot, but at the same time, that could be a, a way to weed down those hundred too, I suppose. Um, one thing that I've done similar to that. And when look, when it's like a small job, like a, uh, not a long-term project that I'll just post on Upwork or something. I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but one thing I always like to do is in my post is I say, Hey, tell me your favorite color in your application. And I kind of bury as much as I can, just because I like to see if people can follow instructions, but it also can help me see, you know, to your point, like, like ability, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. people would just be, be like, my favorite color is blue. And other times they'll say, you know, sometimes it's silver, sometimes it's gray, just depending on the mood that I'm in. This is like, they'll, they'll add some personality to that little, um, to that little piece. You know, for example, when I was fi- when I was looking for an OBM uh, slash DOO, one thing I put in my, in my request for proposals was, um, Hey, when you, when you apply, like, tell me how you take your coffee. How do you like your coffee? I like coffee a lot. Um, we we established that at the beginning with my with my sensor word, but it was interesting when I got. I mean, every everybody that that submitted it told me how they like their coffee, if they even like their coffee. But it's you get to see their personality and some of their likability with questions like that. Mm-hmm. So a couple other questions in this likability category, I would say asking what are you most passionate about. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't really want to work side by side with somebody whose spirit animal is a manatee, and so. <laughs> So, uh, you know, that's giving them the opportunity to say, say something they're passionate about. And I will just say that um, when somebody is onboarding, um, I, I like to be generous to my employees. And if I'm going to do a gift, I like it to be something that's relevant to them. So if you think that might hi- you might hire the person, it's like, jot that down. That's going to be an idea for a gift that would resonate most with that person. Another one, I think I shared this at some point in the past, but uh, my wife, uh, she joined a hospital chain and the hospital, when she joined this floor, they had her fill out a little survey and they said, how do you like to be thanked on this little survey about introducing her, getting to know her? And I just thought, man, she came home so excited. Again, she wrote down espresso beans or no dark chocolate covered espresso beans and kombucha. And she was so <laughs> excited that this, this company would care enough to ask that question. Um, that's valuable information you can make a note of and just kind of learn that person's love language. And then again, I mean, when you are hiring, you have to remember that you are actually selling the job too. So, I mean, sometimes when you're hiring for the first time, you might think this person is desperate to take your job. 
And it's like, no, you have a sales job too to make them think, oh, this is an organization that that really is going to value me. Um, wait, wait, wait. I, 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 want, I want to jump in here because I love okay. that question that was asked of your wife about how do you like to be thanked? And that what that reminds me of is every beginning of the school year for my kids, my wife prints out this one page kind of survey for, for the new teachers with, with 20 questions like, how do you like your coffee? Favorite restaurant in town? Like things like that, that help with, with gift time. So when it comes time to give them a birthday present or a Christmas present for the teacher, you, you know you're actually getting them something they, they like. I, I remember about a month ago, we were going to check the kids out from school early because we were going to do something. And, uh, and my wife was like, you know, why don't we bring them, the teachers, some coffee? I'm sure they'd appreciate that. Well, guess what? We knew exactly how the teachers like their coffee. So I went to the, the coffee shop across the street, got them exactly what they like, you know. Oh, that's perfect. Soy, one pump, sugar-free vanilla, like very specific, boom. And so we could totally do the same exact thing for our team and maybe get them to update it once a year. And the, the question, how do you like to be thanked, I think is a great one. That's awesome. Yeah, put that in the show notes. I'd love to actually download that and take a look. Uh, that's awesome. Okay, so another one. Does does a person's personality type truly match the job needed? And I've been brainstorming this question. So I've had such good um, continuity in my staff that I haven't gotten to hire somebody for a long time. But nice. I'm excited about this interview question. I got to tell the backstory. So I had this wise, wise older lady come in. She's an attorney, but she has a group of rental properties. And I remember I asked her, I said, now, have you had experiences getting bad tenants that destroyed your properties? And she said, no. And I said, well, how, how does that work? And she said, well, I do something kind of funny. She said, anybody that comes and applies, um, she said, I walk them to their car. And she said, for somebody who's renting, their car is their most valuable property. And she said, I look inside. And quite frankly, if their car is, is kept really terribly, She's like, I think that is a sign of how they're going to keep my house. And if the car looks pretty good, then, you know, she said, I, there's an assumption that they're probably going to keep my household that way. And I just love thinking about that. I'm like, you know, there could be exceptions. I know at one point I, there was a conversation of renter, renting properties in the Choose FI Facebook group. And I suggested that. And uh, all these, all these moms like sent me like scathing messages about how they're so organized and dependable but that their children make a mess in the car. And <laughs> I was like, I was like, all right, I'm not trying to start a fight here. Well, but, now, but also you're just trying to find, find ways that you can, you can one up me and things that I can't do virtually. Like no, I can't no, go no. check people's right. car. Right? No, but I think so in person, next time I have somebody, I think I will ask them like, Hey, if I walk you to your car at the end of the, at the end of this interview, you know, what would I observe and what would that say about you? And I think that's kind of a test of congruence. Um, you know, are they confident in who they are? You know, if you asked me that question, I'd be like, oh, you'd see like some dog hair and some bikes. I mean, I'm really active. You'd actually, I'd probably share something I'm passionate about. Uh, the question that you could ask, and this would pertain especially to somebody that would be in this ops role, is how do you manage your finances? So do they have a plan? Uh, somebody that loves operations, you would think that they would have enjoyed setting up a system to manage their personal finances. And I think that could be a glimpse into, into whether they're an organized person or if they really don't have an answer there, you'd be thinking, well, why would I let you organize my business? What do you think? 
Is that yeah. a good question? Yeah, no, it is. Um, you know, it reminds me of, of, I've always heard Dave Ramsey talk about how he, one thing he does in the interview process is asks to see their personal budget. Now that's very on brand because Dave Ramsey teaches personal finance, but his point is I need to make sure that what I'm going to pay you fits in your personal budget. And if not, then this might not be a good fit because you're always going to be disgruntled about about your pay because it's just not congruent with your budget. Um, Now, I know that's kind of a different level than you're talking about because you're just talking about more of, hey, are they kind of organized and and motivated to do important things like nitty gritty organizational things within their own personal life because that could translate to the business. So it, it could be getting on the verge of like a little too personal, but I definitely see where you're going with it. Well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be asking for actual numbers. It's like, what's the system that you put in place to manage your finances? You know, and if somebody if somebody has not has no answer, there is actually I would say it's more highly likely that they're going to show up late, that their life is is disorganized. So now another one, uh, just finding out if the person is capable of doing the job um, like you, we would always do a working interview and actually see them in the office. Have you ever put somebody through a test called the Wonderlick test or have you heard of that? Yeah, that's the football test, man. That's the one that all all guys uh, going into the NFL draft get get tested on. It's like a up to a 50 point scale or Correct. something. Correct. Yes. So one of the groups that I'm in a membership for, they recommend the Wonderlick test. And I was actually looking at a free version of that. Are you pretty good at standardized test? Have you yes. done it? I mean, I've, I've, I've taken uh, like the eight. Uh, SAT. And then I, when I went um, to get my MBA, I had to take, I think it was called the, the GMAT. Okay. But I don't think I've taken the Wonderlick before. Nice. Now you're competitive. So what's, what's your <laughs> ACT score here? Uh, man, I don't, I don't know. You don't remember it. You remember it. <laughs> like 32? Uh, I got a 31. Did you do SAT? <laughs> oh, no. I no, we no, as um, ACT was like the main one in okay. the South here, and I only applied to schools in the South. So uh, nowhere I applied <laughs> needed the SAT. Oh, man. Well, I think, yeah, I got like, I got a higher score, so to speak, on the SAT, but that's funny. We should uh, we should each take the Wonderlick test before next week and see how we compare. Okay. But, um, Send me a link to, to the one you found. Now, what about checking efficiency? Because like you said that you had um, your current transcriptionist do that. But what about, um, like, how would you know how long it took them? So I was thinking, like, would you ever have them do a process while you're actually on a live Zoom call to see see their skills? I don't know. I'm not sure. But you know, that's not my job anymore. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, is, have you truly given Colleen the full responsibility to hire? Well, I mean, I'm certainly involved in the hiring process. But now that we have, for example, the full-time transcriptionist uh, on board, like that's he reports to, to, to Colleen. He doesn't report to me. So I, you know, I'll ping him every now and then, by the way, Hey Marvin, Mm -hmm. doing a great job on transcribing, man. Um, I'm, I make it known that I'm here if he needs anything, but in general, like if he has any problems, if any questions, like he goes to Colleen, not me. So it's her, one of her jobs is to make sure that he's doing a good job and that he's being efficient. And so that's, that's on her. It's not on me. Gotcha. Well, I guess most specifically, we are talking about this higher level, like online business manager type person. And I'll tell you, if I was hiring somebody across the country, I would actually want to see some of their work live. And mm-hmm. so I think what I would do is like live on a Zoom call or while while I'm actually seeing how long it takes them, 
I would ask them to write out uh, like a page or a couple of paragraphs about why they want to work for me and what, what they, yeah, just why they want to work for me. And I'd want to see that they have the attention to detail, kind of like you're talking about, see that they can use grammar properly. I got to make sure I'm using grammar properly as I say <laughs> that um, and proper punctuation. But I would actually want to see that. Well, I, I'm way bi- uh, way bigger on the result versus how you got there too, right? So that's why we do the the sample tasks and whatnot. Like, I want to see, I want to see what we ended up with and how you got there. To me, isn't as important. But they could be having their spouse or their sister like do all that, right? But what about? So that's why we do the sample task, but then also a trial period. So I doubt that they would have their wife or sister working full time mm-hmm. for a month or ninety days in the trial period just to get the job. Correct. But in an interview, the sooner that you can rule somebody in or rule them out, the better. So anyways, (laughs) I mean, I agree. You've got yourself covered there with the trial period. Now, honest and strong character. um, I got to tell you. Well, so you mentioned Dave Ramsey before. Have you ever heard him say that he actually would go and meet with their spouse? Yes, I have that written down right here, man. He says he he goes when he's going to hire an important team member, he wants to go out to dinner with the candidate and their spouse Mm -hmm. because he says if they're married to crazy, it is going to (laughs) affect their work. (laughs) Yes, I I had a couple of notes written under Dave Ramsey because that's somebody I very much look up to and respect and have followed his stuff for for a long time, but he's got some very interesting things to say about hiring. One is that, you know, asking to look at somebody's personal budget. Um, he also, I've, I've heard him talk about how there's like seven rounds of interviews and then right. that meeting with the spouse is just one of those rounds. So, I mean, I actually call references and I want to hear people actually, I mean, a number of people tell me that a person is solid. So do you take those steps with pretty much every employee? No, I've not really, I've not really done that because, and this is just, this is just my intuition, but it's like, I feel like references could be very biased, right? If you're going to, if you're, if I'm a job candidate and I'm actually putting down references, they've got to be good, whether they're fake or not. No, no, uh, because of the job history. I mean, you ask for their job history and Mm. you're supposed to be able to call. And when you call that manager, basically if the employee was a great employee, the person uh, on the other end of the line will always say, yeah, they're fantastic. I was so sad when they leave. If they say, I'm not able to answer any questions, that is like alarm bells going off. Run, run. Yeah. So that's a huge warning sign. But yeah, I would want to call any former employees, any former employers that they list. And again, yeah, you're either going to hear resounding praise or if they just won't answer the question, that's equivalent to, yeah, you got to watch out. And then some some former employers will sit there and just say say some things that it's like, whoa, I'm glad I knew that. Cool. No, that's a that's a good point, man. I, I you're not talking about just like a references section on a resume. You're talking about, hey, let's look at the work history and do a little bit of stealth and and actually right. talk to who they worked with. Right. And all of this becomes more important the more integral the person is to your company. But I mean, you are proposing and recommending that course creators hire somebody that is like their right hand person. So that's where I'm like you know, a deep dive into this stuff is good. So personally, I would actually do potentially do a background check on people. <laughs> so this this came up, this lady came in and applied. And I thought she was fantastic in person. I just thought, oh, I'm such a good judge of character. This lady is phenomenal. Um, and I was ready to offer her this job. I think I did give her an offer. Well, I, I got an email from her. And she said, 
you know, I'd love to take this job, but my last job, I was making a, a couple dollars an hour more. She said, I talked to my sister about it and I was thinking that you could just pay me in cash. And uh, that way it would be the equivalent of what I was making before. And so I'm looking at this like, what the heck? I, I actually sent my dad a message and sent it to him. I'm like, it sounds like she's encouraging me to do tax fraud here. I was like, is there <laughs> any other way to in interpret this? And my dad is like, no, it looks like that to me. Uh, here in Iowa, we have something called Iowa Courts Online, and you can look up a person uh, for free. And so I looked her up and she had embezzlement charges. Goodness. And I was just like, I would not have looked. And, and later on, I hired this other lady. It was kind of funny. She uh, she was recommended by this lady that I got to know, and, and they were in a Bible study together. And so I didn't do the Iowa Courts Online check. She started working for me, and there were these signs of crazy starting to come out. And so I did the Iowa Courts Online thing, and there was actual like jail time. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, so, so, so doing that can be valuable. There you go, man. <laughs> Um, the last thing I would say is that in the hiring process, I actually do sit down with each candidate and spend just a little bit of time going over some things that I call the wounded boyfriend expectations. So, so I've hired a few employees and I've had some amazing ones, but there were some where ultimately the, the relationship degraded and we kind of left on bad terms. And so I sit down here and, and just say, you know, these are some of the ways that things went wrong in the past. And again, I try to frame it as I'm going to try to be the best, best employer possible. I'm going to say thank you a lot. I'm going to try to make your job enjoyable. But here are some of the ways that things went wrong in the past. And can we be on the same page that this is going to work for you? So in my office, there is a certain amount of scripting in the sense that if somebody says something at the front desk, if somebody says, uh, I'm just going to wait and give you guys a call. You know, the person at the front desk has to be willing to say the script like, OK, well, you know, I'd love to just put a time down for you. And then if something comes up and you can't make it, you know, you're always welcome to give us a call. And if somebody I've had people that said that using a script like that was badgering patients. And I'm like, no, that's great customer service. So, mm -hmm. so I kind of have this section where I'm like, yeah, these are where things went wrong in the past. How can we prevent that in the future? Do you have anything similar to that where you can reflect back on on past employees that didn't go quite right and, and learn from them or, or see where you can try to like head that off up front? Well, I think for, for us, uh, for me, the, the, the kind of trial period, what I was talking about earlier is the big thing there. I, I like what you're saying in terms of actually telling people at the beginning, like, here's, here's some of the, the past problems, here's some of the past breakdowns, um, and just trying to get ahead of it. But I don't have anything specific like that. It's, it's more of the trial period we rely on. But, um, but man, I, I appreciate you sharing all these things because the biggest thing that I see or that you've said is like, you don't have to hire very often because your people are sticking around. Right. And then I, I think that speaks that, that really backs up all the things you're saying. It's like, Hey, everybody like listen to what David is saying because it's clearly working. Like, I think the morale is probably high. You've had people stick around for quite a long time. And so you might know a thing or two of what you're doing as far as hiring and and keeping people around too. So I appreciate you sharing all this with us. Right. And just psychologically, that trial period, I mean, it has a huge value, but let's say somebody is in there in the trial period and they're doing like a six out of 10 job. Um, I mean, it's, it's very, it's very hard to let somebody go. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of the hardest things you can ever do is tell somebody that they're not a good fit yeah. for your company. And yep. so a six out of 10 person can feel comfortable and you can say, well, I think it's, 
man, she's she's right on the line. He's right on the line of good enough. And and like you say, getting the right people on the bus, the more that you can figure out up front, the better. Yes, exactly. So operations and a lot of hiring and managing a team in this episode. David, any anything else or is that is that going to do it here? Well, yeah, I would have just one question um, on this note of operations. One of the main things that it seems like Colleen is doing right now is probably standard operations, um, actually starting to create a, a book of that. Or I, I guess I was just curious, is it mainly screenshot videos or is it text-based? Or can you share a little bit about, is that currently a part of what she's doing? And is it is it both? What you're talking about is SOPs. Right? Yes, SOPs. I'm sure you have SOPs in your business, standard operating procedures. Right. And, and unfortunately, they're almost all text right now. Yeah, exactly. So videos, I think screencast videos, especially in an online business are, are really nice. And like a video plus text is even great. So that is something that's on the to-do list. It's not as high a priority. We have some of it already. Em- uh, Emily and I worked on some of that before she came around, but she's definitely going to help us um, standardize that. Um, and one of the reasons that's so important is if somebody goes on vacation for a month or if somebody unexpectedly leaves and is not a part of the team anymore or somebody goes on maternity leave, so somebody can step in and follow a process, right? And so that is certainly on the list to get done at some point and something that an operations person is, is like, that's one of the things that, they're, that they do for you. Nice. Are you still a screencast-o-matic guy? I, I've switched to the dark side, my friend. I am I am a loom guy now. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think I posted. News. I think I posted that in the um, the online course community Facebook group uh, a couple months ago. I was like, I switched to the dark side. It just seemed like Screencast-O-Matic. They weren't as actively developing the platform, and it started to get buggy. It would crash, and I was like, let me let me let me try Loom. Everybody's using Loom, and it's it's just uh, it's just a lot more seamless. And so I've been using it for the past couple of months. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, Bonjoro, as you know, I love Bonjoro um, for for sending quick videos to thank my customers. They have a new like screencast feature. So I might I might try that out uh, eventually, but I'm a loom guy right now. Very nice. (laughs) All right, David. Well, thanks. uh, Thanks for joining me here for, for another episode 163. Man, you know who we're having on the podcast next week? Oh, yeah. Phil Ebner. The man, Phil. I first reached out to him in 2018, but he is, uh, he was, his wife, I almost said he was pregnant with twins. His wife was pregnant with twins. Uh, and then they had another baby shortly after that. And so I've, I, it's just been a struggle to get him on, but I finally, um, was able to talk to Phil. Great experience. Pleasure to meet him. He's, I would say, like the king of Udemy. He's been around a long time. Very, very prominent on Udemy. I've actually taken some of his courses before. He's got over a hundred courses to his name at this point. So very inspiring conversation. So stay tuned next week for the conversation with Phil Ebner. But this was episode 163. So you can find all the show notes and links from today's episode by going to oc.show slash 163. And until next time, get out there and make some next level courses with transformation and not just information. Take care, everyone. 